You can hear, you can almost sense, you can feel. You can feel that slowly moving knife edge of passion pouring out of this assemblage here who have gathered to eat hamburgers. <laughs> yes, as I stand up here on the stage, I can see lips bespeckled with piccalilli. I can see a touch of ketchup here and there. But I can also see the expectant, the expectant look of a slowly bubbling pot of farina. <laughs> now, for those of you who wondered... Uh, <laughs> Listen, you can hear it popping in the back there. One of, one of the first sounds that I remember as a kid, by the way. Somebody says, tell a kid story to get the thing started tonight, and I'll do that. How many of you remember the sound of oatmeal, mother's oats, <laughs> popping in a can? You know, you know the, the pan that they put on, on the stove, your mother puts it on the stove, you know, puts a little water in it, a little salt, and after a while, it starts to bubble, you know, bloop. <laughs> and have you ever stood right next to the pot and looked in there? You know, it makes... <laughs> you get a little in the eyebrow, you know, poop, like that. The steam comes up, you know, poop. And it looks like the surface of the moon, you know? Well, I suspect, even though this might seem to be one of the lesser-known indoor sports, I suspect that cream of wheat watching... Mother's oats watching is what all of us do for the rest of our lives. Is there any difference, really, from watching a pot of oatmeal bubbling than, let's say, watching Flipper? <laughs> no, seriously. You know, I, I, and I remember as a kid, see, standing there next to that pot, and it goes, bloop, bloop, and once in a while, a big one would come. And you'd wait for it, you know, like watching the waves at Jones Beach, you know. Boop! <laughs> you'd look around, hey, Randy, wow, that was a big one. Bloop! <laughs> it's, oh, let me watch a while, my kid brother gets in there. Well, oatmeal watching is all... <laughs> is part of the kid world. <laughs> and, and, oh, there's another thing, too, that, that is part of the kid world, and that's box top opening. How many of you have, have, have still retained, even now, you get to be 79 years old, and you still like to open clean boxes? Do you like to open boxes? <laughs> I mean, you know, just buy a box and open it, you know? You don't want the stuff that's in it. <laughs> no, I, I, seriously, I, I, think, I think opening packages, fresh new packages, is one of the great sensual thrills. <laughs> Just, you know, just opening things and popping little things. Do you like to tear cellophane bags? How many of you like to open sardine cans? Well, uh, one of my favorite cans to open, I remember my mother, when, when my kid brother and I would buy for this, see, we had great rivalry, as all brothers do. There were two brothers, one mother, one father. And the two brothers were always jockeying, you know. See, I'm the big one. Randy was the little sneaky one. Now, he re I relied on, on being good. You know, I relied on being good and getting good grades. I relied on being the leader. Randy, my brother, relied on whimpering. 
And you could hear him under the day bed whimpering. Whimpering. See, he's whimpering because he figured if he whimpered well enough, my mother would let him open the can of chasing sandbars. Well, you know, I had just gotten a B in English, so I figured I should open this thing. <laughs> well, my mother would have the can of chasing sandbars, you know, with the key on the bottom. And she'd say, who wants to open the can? We'd both jockey in position. And she'd see the two of us. And she'd look at one and the other. And then finally, I remember that the, she always solved it by saying, I better save it for later. And then later, she'd open it. <laughs> because there was nothing my mother liked better than that hiss, you know? <laughs> you just turn it, it goes like that. Well, this whole, this whole, this whole panoply of little forgotten thrills and pleasures, which, by the way, we all still live in. I'll never forget the time my father, speaking of forgotten thrills and pleasures, how many of you get a, this is a male thing, I guess, I don't know, get a peculiar sense, it's almost sexual, hard to describe it, a peculiar sense of excitement when you sit in or get into a brand new automobile. I mean, it's got about 10 miles on it. Everything is shiny. In fact, you haven't even opened the glove compartment yet. What a sense. What a great sense of power. And, and that smell. You know that smell of the paint and the leather? I wonder why they don't bring out a, a shaving lotion. You, know? <laughs> you can buy it in about nine different types, you know, like Pontiac Tempest. <laughs> Just wipe it all over, you know? Or... Jaguar, XKE, you know, just put it on. <laughs> or uh, use 37 Ford. <laughs> well, you know, this business of cars, I, 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 this, is, this is the story, I guess, that I wanted to tell. Because right now, you know, all, a lot of people buy cars either in the fall or the spring. A lot of guys are buying cars right now. And in fact, uh, a friend of mine just got his last night. And I stood and looked at this new car, and I remembered one of the, one of the I, I guess one of the worst things I ever did to my father. How many of you have inside of you, probably these kids are already working on it, <laughs> how many of you inside of you have a thing that you remember secretly that you did to your mother or your father that you at the time didn't know you were doing? but have since always felt absolutely rotten lousy about I mean, you know, just kind of rotten. And every once in a while when you pick up the phone to call your mother, it sort of floats over your head, you know. <laughs> hey, Ma, I, I, about that time I broke that glass when I was seven, Ma, I just, you know, <laughs> you know that time? Well, my father lived by cars. This is the Midwest, you know. The Midwest, they got nothing but space. And if you don't have a car, you might as well be dead. And so everybody from the age of 10 on lives in automobiles. To get in the car and go to Chicago. Get in the car and go to Cleveland. Any, any way to get out of Griffith, Indiana. And so, oh yeah, I mean, so they're in that car all the time and they polish it and they wash it because it represents freedom. It represents to the person who lives in Indiana what the theater represents to the New Yorkers. I mean, if you were to kill 
all the theater in New York. What would the, what would the Brave Benet do or the Benet Beret? <laughs> Whatever they are. What would all the women's clubs from Westport do? I mean, where would all the ladies from New Jersey go on Wednesday? Well, that's the same thing with the car. Well, my father never in his life owned a new car. Not once. He bought used cars just, you know, he was a used car man. He was born a used car, baptized, you know. And when he saw a car in a showroom window, a big brand new automobile, he'd see it covered with dents. He would see a shadowy outline of how it would look seven years from now with a sign on it, you know. It says, Our Wednesday Special. He'd look at it. See, he judged the car by what kind of a used car it would make. How it would look with dust on it. And you know what those four-letter words written on the back that kids always... You know, he saw them that way. He saw them with one hubcap missing. And so then, on, after he'd looked at the new cars, we would go out. This was a big Saturday thing with me and my, my kid brother and my father. We'd go along Stony Island Boulevard in Chicago. It's big, long, Stony Island Avenue... All used car dealers for miles. And the old man would walk along, he'd walk past. He had his favorite dealers. He never bought anything from them. He just liked the way their cars looked, you know. He'd look at friendly Fred. Then there'd be hungry Harry, you know. Then there'd be angry Charlie, the angry Armenian, you know. And then there would be the angel. They name them all those things out in Chicago. And are you aware that in Chicago, the used car dealers have taken over television? You don't see that in New York because New Yorkers don't live by cars like they do out there. But some of the favorite characters on television in Chicago right now are used car dealers who do their own commercials. And they come on at 1 o'clock in the morning. They come on in prime time. And here's the way their commercials work. You ever seen one? They got the movie, see? And after the first reel... Suddenly, the camera opens up, and here's Charlie standing. Ah, oh, hello, everybody. <laughs> Friendly Charlie here. Good to see you, gang. And my old man is sitting there with his eyes popping. <laughs> Friendly Charlie is bringing him into Parnassus again. Charlie says, I want to show you my special for today. We got a 1952 Hudson Hornet. <laughs> Bring the camera in here. I want to show him the front seat. Say, Bring it in here, bud. Come on. And the camera comes right in the front seat, see? And they polish the dashboard up, and there are millions of used car people in, in the Chicago area just sitting there with their mouths watering. He said, I want you to look, take, take a look at that radio. Turn, turn that radio on. And he reaches in. You see the hand come in. The radio goes on. And then you hear, ta 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 da He's listening to that radio. Now, take it out there and show him the back seat. Come on, move it by. And all the while, he's moving his hands over the car. This is where the real cell comes in. It is almost a sexual caress. <laughs> Old Charlie is moving his hands over the top. He says, I want you to take a look at this. Take, come, bring that over here. Come on. Take a look at this back fender. <laughs> oh, I tell you, television is lascivious in Chicago. <laughs> He's not. Wait a minute now. I've saved this for the last. I want you to see the grill. And then the camera moves around and picks up the grill, that big, shiny chunk of chrome 
which, re which really represents more than anything else the whole American way of life. That great big grinning grill. How many of you remember the Hudson Hornet grill? Well, it looked like it was smelling something. It had, it had a car. That's why that car never sold, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, certain cars have got a flat. You know, other cars literally grin at you. You know, they've got that sweet look that... You know? Well, the Hudson Hornet had a funny look. And old Charlie says, I want you to look at this grill. Take a look at that. Now, folks, I know you're not going to believe me. This 1952 Hudson Hornet has only 76 miles on it. <laughs> now, I can hear you already out there. I hear you laughing. Well, let me tell you, this Hudson Hornet was owned by a Presbyterian clergyman. <laughs> paralyzed from the waist down. It was given to him by his congregation as a love offering. And every Sunday afternoon after church, he would be carried into the front seat of this car where he would sit and pretend he was driving to see his mother in Canton, Ohio. Now, if you'd like to own this beautiful 1952 Hudson Hornet, call this number immediately. Boom, boom, boom. That's the quick sell, see? And if you're the first one to call, this beautiful, genuine set of plastic dinnerware will be given to you absolutely free. Well, they sit there. All over the dial are these used car dealers, they're, and they've got followings. Listen, they're bigger out there than, than Johnny Carson. They've got followings. Well, my father was early in that field, and we used to walk along Stony Island, you know, Stony Island Avenue, and they'd see them. Friendly Fred would be sitting there. He'd say, hi. The old man would walk past. He'd say, hi. <laughs> See, they were always waiting for him to nibble. Every two years, he bit. That was his gestation period. <laughs> you see, the minute he bought a car, and I think all Americans share this with him, the minute you buy a car, you begin to get dissatisfied. <laughs> You know, there's a very close, there's a very close sexual parallel here, too, you know. This is the playboy syndrome. Have you ever noticed that the, the playboy has a new girl every month? Miss June, Miss July. Why? Well, by the, after about three weeks, after you've looked at Miss July, you know, three weeks, you know, you got this thing down like, like this, you know, after a while, it just comes down a little bit, you know. And then after about three weeks, you start reading the magazine. <laughs> and by the end of the fourth week, you are ready for Miss August. Well, that's the way the old man was. I, can, I, I remember that my father taking delivery on his new seven-year-old used car. And he'd been talking about how fantastic it was, you know, for weeks before he bought it. Because you have to work yourself up into that. He would work himself up, and then he'd finally get it. And about three hours after he got it, he'd be sitting in there, you know, we'd be driving along. You, you, how many of you have experienced that first ride in the new car? Well, we never had a new car. Our cars all had at least seven owners, ten owners before it. You'd see mysterious stains. <laughs> and all kinds of mysterious stains in the back seat. 
But the old man persists in... He always called it the new car. There's always the new car. Funny smells in it. And, and, and once in a while, you know, when we'd be cleaning the car, washing it, the second week after we got it, we polished it all. You know, we'd get the whole thing with a can of Simon Eyes. How many of you still got Simon Eyes elbow? How, how, how many of you have ever tried to put a coat of Simon Eyes on a seven-year-old Graham Page? Which, by the way, was already, right out of the factory, was painted with sandpaper that faded, you know. And, and I, that used to be my job as a kid. After we would get the used car, it was my responsibility as the oldest kid to Simonize this thing. And on Saturday morning, after we got the car, I would get out there and wash the whole thing and start polishing. What a great feeling to see that, to see that hood come up. And then as you, as, you, as you shine the trunk, your rag begins to go through the paint. You know, where that red stuff comes through and you stop and you keep going. And then by night, the old man comes home and he stands there in front of this thing and he looks at it. He says, Jeannie, that's the most beautiful Simonized job I ever saw. He'd look at it and it's glowing and gleaming. And then he'd say, let's go for a ride. We'd all sit in the car. The old man up in the front seat. His Graham Page. I'm sitting behind him. See, as the oldest kid, I get to sit behind the driver. My kid brother is down on the floor in the back seat, whimpering. See, he caught hell about two hours before, and he's still, you know, sniffing about it. My mother is sitting in the front seat, and we're going, whistling out. And then the first ray of the sun hits the hood, and the streaks begin to show. My father says, uh, Hood's a little straight. And you see it. You say, well, I guess I had water in the rag. He's, it's all right. How about some ice cream? We drive into the drive-in, get the ice cream. The world is beautiful. The sun is in its heavens. And then we drive out of the drive-in with our ice cream. And about maybe 30 miles out, the old man starts to listen. Do you hear anything? That was his, his... Hey, do you hear... Wait, wait. Shh, 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 shh. Do you hear anything? Well, how could you hear anything in a Graham Page, you know? He said, wait, wait, wait. Just a minute. You know, this thing's got... This thing's got bad tappets. I'll take it into Frank's Monday morning. He'll fix it up. Already, you see, the discontent was settling in. And by three months, the old man... It's just an old car now. He drives it in the garage, slams the door on it. After a year, he doesn't even, even remember he's got one. And he's already looking at friendly Fred. <laughs> he's going past, you know, with that whole thing. So that was this kind of life. He was a used car man. Well, now, you got the scene? I'm a kid. And I bought my first car. A used car. It had 85 owners on it. By the way, have, how many of you have ever looked under the seat when you buy a used car? You know, under the front seat where you hardly ever go? Find all kinds of fantastic stuff, you know? Oh, wow, Indian pennies and oh, man, all kinds of... I'll never forget one guy, a friend of mine, Flick, as a matter of fact, bought a used car for $35 and he took the back seat out to clean it. And there clamped against the back seat were two 
sawed-off shotguns. Yeah, I told you about it. It's a true story, man. And I'll tell you, Flick turned green, and there were ten cops over at his house within 15 minutes, wondering what he'd knocked over. Well, that was the thrill of buying a used car. Well, I'm a kid, see, and I'm 17. This, I guess, was the beginning of the new world. I'm about 17 years old, see, and I got a summer job working at the steel mill. I've just got out of high school, and I know that I'm going to get drafted, you know, this whole bit, you know, I'm going to go to the Army and all that stuff. And I've got a little money. I've been saving my money now for about two or three years, every cent I've got. And I'm getting, a, you know, I'm getting a pretty good salary for a kid working in a steel mill. And one night, I'm coming home. I'm walking down Holman and... Uh, this is Holman Street, which is the equivalent of, of uh, Broadway here in New York, see? And I'm walking down the main street, and I go past Hirschback's Ford Agency. Now, Hirschback was kind of a Taj Mahal of Hammond. You know how the Ford Agency will control the whole town? Old man Hirschback was in politics. He was the whole bit, you know. And he had this fantastic agency. And he had all these new Fords. Convertibles, station wagons, club coupes. And I'd stand there in front of the window, you know, and I'm looking at this club coupe. Brand new one. A beautiful light blue. A kind of eggshell blue. Brand spanking new car. I go in, you know, I walk in there and I'm... This is something nobody in our family has ever done. Gone into a new car agency. Well, I walk in. Look at this. And immediately there's a guy over there, you know, with the thing in the lapel, you know, the carnation. He comes over and says, uh, What do you think of it, son? I look around. Not bad. <laughs> he says, why don't you get in and sit down? Go on, go on, get in. Sit in. See how it feels. Well, I edge myself into this thing. I sit down. And there's that dashboard. There is a speedometer ahead of me that has O, 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 two. I have never seen a speedometer like this. I didn't know them numbers came that low, you know? <laughs> Listen, they used to set my dad's cars back four times, and they still registered 80,000 miles. You know, and there's such a beautiful thing, see? And, and it, was the, it, it, had a, it had a gear shift up on, the, up on the steering wheel, you know? had this big, beautiful, light tan, almost mocha-colored chocolate wheel. And this magnificent upholstery, the back seat was right up, it was a club coupe, see? And I look out through the windows, and you know how used cars always have vaguely fuzzy glass? This glass was like crystal. I could see that beautiful hood stretching out there. I took a, I took a deep breath. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So I edge myself out of the car. And the salesman, you see, is playing me like like a like a like a fly fisherman. 
plays a brook trout. He's letting me have the line, see. I walk around the back. He says, take a look at that trunk. You know, a lot of stuff would fit in there. I'll bet you could even get a folding day bed in there. <laughs> well, I'd have, I'd been having a lot of trouble in that line, you know. <laughs> he said, you know, another thing, that uh, gear shift there, you notice it, it's not on the floor in between the people who sit in the front there. I know one guy that has a sprained knee today from that problem. That's called the MG knee. <laughs> have you ever tried to have a date in MG? Whew. I'll tell you. So I look at this car, see, and I, I say, oh, well, gee, how, how much, how much, how much it cost? What difference how much does it cost? He says, you know, you can get this car for $310 down. I had $440 at home. The 440 bucks was supposed to go to my college education. So I walk around the back of the car. 310 bucks. Uh, how much is it a month? You can have a car like this. Let's see, how, how long do you want to take to pay? 18 months, 36 months, 20 years? <laughs> or would you just like us to own you for the rest of your life? <laughs> would you like to come here and work as a slave for the rest of your life? I was willing at that point, you know. <laughs> Man will sell his soul cheap. So I says, uh, oh, I figure about... I'm thinking, see, when am I going to get drafted? I said, about two years. He said, wait a minute, just a minute, I'll figure it out. He looks at the chart. Of course, he knows, you know, he's been doing this. He's, he's pretending he's figuring, see. He said, hey, aren't you shepherd's boy? Said, yeah. Listen, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give you a little bit off. <laughs> That's pretty hard to resist, you know. I said, how much? He said, oh, $7. <laughs> I'll throw in it. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll throw in an extra set of windshield wiper blades. <laughs> Don't do that, everybody, you know. We charge them extra for that. I said, gee, that's awful nice. Mr. Garrity, he said, call me Stan. Oh. <laughs> okay, Stan. <laughs> well... Five minutes later, I'm out on the street. See, I have told him, I'll think about it. Well, you know, there's no thinking. You don't think when passion is involved. Do any of you think when sex is involved? I mean, you may get scared or you may say, whoopee, but there isn't much thinking. So I'm walking down the street past igloos. The sun is shining. And that question, why not, had changed to a positive statement. When? You know? And that was slowly begin to change, you know, in the green letters over me, tomorrow. In fact, it changed. It said, now. And I turned around. This is a true story. And I went back. And I said, Mr. Garrity, can I have this one? 
He says, why, of course. We were saving it for Mr. Thompson at the drugstore. But I can put him off. How did I know this son of a gun was an accomplice? So we can put him off. And so I said, okay, I think... What the heck, okay. And I sat down with Mr. Gary. And we looked at this list of figures, and he had all these accessories listed, you know, like FM radio. He had stuff like windshield washers. I said, no, I don't want any of that stuff. He said, oh, come on, you're going all the way. You might as well go all the way. I said, radio would be kind of nice. I can see Esther Jane sitting next to me. <laughs> with a radio booming out, you know. It's got a tone control on it. I'm working the antenna up and down. I said, come on, baby, let's go out and listen to the radio. I said, okay, let's have the radio. Well, he said, of course, you won't need a windshield wiper. Well, with that windshield washer with the water, you won't need that. I had never seen one. Didn't know how they worked. I says, well, I guess not. He says, you're wise. They don't work anyway. That night, I'm sitting with my father, and I don't know how to tell him. My mother's sitting over here. My college education is back at Hirschbach's. I have put the money down. <laughs> My kid brother is sitting at the other end of the table. All of us are sitting around there eating the meatloaf, you know. And I am so excited, I can hardly stand it. I'm getting a new car, and I don't know what to say, how to tell him. I'm so excited. My mother says, what's the matter with you? You got a fever? My old man's reading the sport page. He's sitting back here, you know. The White Sox have dropped another 17 straight. <laughs> He's just sitting there forever, you know. He's the only guy I knew who could, who could follow the entire American League averages and eat meatloaf at the same time. <laughs> Red cabbage, he's sitting there. I said, no, I feel fine, Ma. I, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, and the old man looks up. He figures there's... You know, there's, there's certain great moments in a kid's life. Like, he figured any minute now, I'm going to say something like, Esther Jane and I eloped. <laughs> you know, when a guy gets that sound, I, uh, I, uh, I've got something to tell you. I, uh, and he looks up. I said, I bought a car. I bought another car. I couldn't say new, you know. I said, I bought another car this afternoon. And now the old man is with it, see? This is his world. He said, oh, what's it? You, you bought that Hudson, huh? See, we had been looking at a Hudson. And I said, no, Dad, I didn't get that Hudson. I, uh, I got a Ford. He said, oh, Ford. Yeah, well, I was looking at a 38 Ford the other day. It wasn't too bad, you know? Uh, what year did you get? He never even thought of new ones, you know? What year did you get? I said, uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, next year. <laughs> and the old man put his paper down 
He says, what year? I said, next year, Dad. He says, what, what, what happened? Did somebody uh, take delivery of it and crack it up or something? What? I said, no, Dad. I, I bought a new Ford at Hirschbeck's. I'm getting it in two days. They're delivering it. And it was a silence. And my father, he, he sort of sat there for a minute, and then he said, Gee, you, 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 what color did you get? See, used cars don't come in any color. They just, <laughs> you know, you don't have a choice of colors when you're buying a 38 Hudson, you know. It's just the color it comes in. It's used car color, you know. <laughs> he said, what color did you get? And I said, well, well, I, I ordered, uh, well, they, they, they call it Wedgwood Blue. He said, you mean Wedgwood, is it, what color blue is that? And I said, well, that's kind of a light blue, Dad. It's Wedgwood Blue. There's a pause. He says, did you have a choice of colors? I said, yeah, they had a maroon, they had a, they had a light green one. They had, a, they had a black you could get. They had a white. And they had a terrific, they had a terrific gray, Dad. In fact, I saw a gray convertible today with red leather seats. And he's just looking at me. He says, did you give him any money? I said, yeah, I paid the down payment, Dad. I'm getting it two days. You want to go down and look at it? He says, yeah. Gee, come on, let's go. <laughs> And 15 minutes later, we are standing in front of the showroom. It's now closed. And you know how they have the lights on in the showroom there? And there are all the cars sitting on that floor. The potted palms. And right smack in the middle is this light blue, magnificent club coupe. And it's got a little sign, red letters, sold. I said, there it is, Dad. You stand there, walk back and forth. Gee, it's got a pretty good trunk, hasn't it? I said, yeah. <laughs> Gee, that's not bad. You know, I, who'd you buy it off of? I said, Mr. Garrity. I said, oh, yeah, Stan. Stan had worked at the dairy where he had worked. He had now graduated to selling new Fords. And for ten minutes, we stood and looked at the car. Well, the two days went by almost like a dream, hoping, planning to get that car. And finally, it was Saturday. And Dad and I go down, and Mr. Garrity gives me the key. You know that moment when you get the key? They ought to have trumpets or something, you know? They ought to film it, you know, like weddings. <laughs> He gives me the key, you know. I thought they'd have some kind of ceremony, but no, the guy just says, here's a key. Okay, so long. I get in the car. My dad sits in it next to me. I put the key in for the first time. I threw the switch. And you know how a new car starts? A little tight, you know, go-go-go-boom. No sound at all. It was the first car my father had been in that you could talk in. <laughs> 
nothing. He says, he says it's di- it, it, the motor died. Come on, you're flooding it. I said, no, Dad, it's, it's running. <laughs> I said, oh. And I ease it down into first, and down the ramp I go, and out onto the street. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. My old man is sitting there next to me. And we're about two blocks away. And he says, Boy, they sure don't build them like they used to, do they? (laughs) Little did I realize he was trying to rebuild his world. Little did I realize he was trying to, to somehow putting it into focus. And we drove all the way home. And he says, you know, plastic dashboard, wow. I said, Dad, you know, they clean off real good, you know. And that little speedometer, that, that, that mileage indicator is ticking over. One, two. I said, hey, Dad, look, it's almost got three miles on it now. <laughs> he said, yeah, <laughs> three miles. He looks over at it. I said, you want to take the wheel, Dad? He says, he'd never driven a car. He had never driven a car that had the gear shift on the steering wheel. Here I am, you know, I'm working this thing. He says, yeah, I, I kind of like to get in, take a, take a spin with it. So I get out of the side, you know, and he gets into it. And you know, how many of you grew up sitting behind a father who was a magnificent driver? You know, you'd sit there and you'd watch your old man. I used to watch my father shift gears, you know, his arm is hanging out the window, the clutch, and, you know, he's... And I'd watch him. I'd watch him, you know, and I'd watch him signal like this. I even studied how he used to yell out the window, you know. <laughs> My old man was one of these great yellers, you know. He had great timing. He would, he would time his yell so that the car was just far away enough so the guy couldn't get back at him. You know, he was the last, so the guy would cut him off, and he'd just wait. That car would make that swoop around there, and he'd go, wah, 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 and the guy's gone, you know. You could see that head in the car like that. The old man's already made his right turn, and he's made his point, and the audience applauds, you know. Magnificent. What a fantastic vocabulary. My father worked in car yelling. My father worked in traffic obscenity. He worked in that field the way Michelangelo worked in marble. You used to hear him in the bathroom practicing. And he's just hollering, you know. Well, so I get out of the car. He's that kind of a driver, you know. It's got terrific. He had fantastic confidence, you know. Great control of the car. He was. He, he grew up in cars. And so I get out of the car, you know. I walk around. He slides over behind the seat. He sits there behind his wheel. This brand spanking new automobile. Next year's model. The old man sits there. I'm watching him. Smelling this fantastic odor. This new car smell. And he's got a hold of the gear shift, see? I suddenly became aware that he can't work it. And you hear, he hits home. <clears throat> a little stiff. <laughs> I said, Dad, pull it up and down. 
which is up and down. <laughs> okay, up, up. How high does it go? Up, up. I says, no, that easy. Just gently. Use, use your hand. Just flick it up. Just flick, see. He grabs it, you know, like you grab a gear ship, see. I said, just flick it up and down, Dad. Oomp. I said, let the clutch out easy, Dad. And we start to go. Gee. <laughs> He's kind of got a nice pickup. He's... I said, now put it in second, Dad. He goes, Oomp. I said, no, Dad, not reverse. Second, Dad. Now, easy. I said, put it back in neutral, Dad. See, flick it up now. It's in neutral now. See, got it in neutral? Now, all right, now back into first. Up, easy, and down. See, we start to go. I said, now, easy, up into neutral. And it'll go down normally. It'll go down by itself, Dad. Just flick it. Don't grab it with your hand like that. Hold it, and it flicks down. See, Boom. he pushes it. I said, now, push it forward easily. It goes right in a second. I said, now, come on, back in the third, Dad, back in the third! He goes, ah! I said, okay, Dad, now let's start all over again. And he's sweating. He's sitting there. And he finally gets the car in the third, and we start driving home. Well, now, have you ever, have you ever steered a seven-year-old car with bad kingpins? Well, my father had shoulders like bowling balls. Just from driving cars, Hudson's, Graham Pages that had no kingpins, the front end steering bearings were gone. I, I remember great scenes of my father. You know, we'd hit a, we'd hit a streetcar track, see? And it would go, and the old man is going like this. You know, you see the shoulders, the cars go, oh, shut up, you bum. And the front end's going like that, see? Well, he always corrected for that, you see. For years, all of his cars pulled either to the right or the left. And so now he's in a car that just sort of goes, you know. You see him, you know, he'd horse it around like that. Oh, he'd go on. I said, easy, Dad. Now, come on, easy. Watch it. You're going to hit that tree there. We finally get up into the backyard. We turn it off. Up the steps we go, into the kitchen. My mother is all dressed up for the first ride in the car, you know. And she says, how is it? The old man says, it's got one of them damn steering wheel shifts. Ah, they don't make cars the way they used to. And my mother took a look out the window. She says, it's beautiful. What a beautiful car. My father says nothing, just walks away. Come on, Dad, let's all go for a ride. Well, that afternoon, I realized, and I think he did too, that a whole new world has come into being. Are you aware that there are 18-year-old kids today who get Mustangs for graduation from high school? Are you aware of that? <laughs> That's a scary one. I know one chick that got a 900cc Harley-Davidson. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Speaking of that, by the way, what radio station are you listening to, gang? Uncle Wu is coming, and you'll never be the same. Turn me loose, oh, brave, let me laugh and 
Tom Prevu is coming. And you'll never be the same. When Schwartz and Flick and Bruner and I, one Saturday afternoon, decided to build our own cave. Now, there's two types of kids. There's the treehouse kid, and there's the cave kid. I suspect that the treehouse kids grow up to be John Lindsay. <laughs> they grow up to be Republicans, you know? Yeah, they vote for Goldwater, and somehow the world is beautiful to them, and they listen to Norman Vincent Peale and all that stuff, you know. Oh, yeah, they're the guys that really believe. They join the Rotary Club, and they shake hands. And they, they, you know, and they wear suits with ties and all that bit, you know, and their wives all wear girdles. They read, they read the Reader's Digest from cover to cover. You know, that's a certain kind of guy, you know. He reads the Herald Trib, you know. He, uh, <laughs> yeah. The very special kind of man. And, and he's the kind of guy that calls people buddy, you know. And he loves to play golf. There's something about guys that play golf and always in the sunshine. That's the treehouse type. Well, Flick and Bruner and Schwartz and myself never thought once in, in terms of building a treehouse. By the way, do you know that at FAO Schwartz, they sell nothing but tree houses? You can't even buy a cave there. I mean, those little kids in Westport don't dig holes in the ground to get into, you know? They, yeah, they're up there at the top. You know that you can buy a, a $900 four-room playhouse at FAO Schwartz with a breezeway, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it has running water and the whole scene, you know. Well, Schwartz and Bruner and myself and Flick, one Saturday, and it was, it was, it was you know, just a crisp, cool Saturday. This is the cave digging time of the year. You wear that? Something happens to the mail at this time of the year, the itch. Some guys go out and buy a new car. Other guys try to get a new chick. Some guys quit school at this time of the year. Other guys quit their jobs. Well, Flick and Schwartz and Bruner and myself, in the fall, dug a cave. And it started out small, you know, the vacant lot. We each had our shovel. I took... Well, all homes, by the way, in those days had shovels because they had a thing called the coal bin. How many of you... I, I bet these kids don't even know what a coal bin is. More stuff, kids, happen in coal bins. <laughs> than you will ever guess, I'll tell you. The coal bin was a scary room in the basement. Now, do you know what a basement is, kid? <laughs> you know, most of the houses today don't even have basements, but under the floor of the old houses, kid, there used to be a big cave where my old man used to throw old tires. And, and they had old ice boxes down there and, and, and mice and papers. And behind the ice box, I would hide spicy western. 
I'll never forget, I had this great collection of spicy detective and spicy western, you know. And I, on rainy Saturday afternoons, I would go down and pretend I'm working on my model airplane, see? <laughs> and I'd be hiding next to the icebox behind the pile of tires, see? And I'm reading Spicy Detective. If you think James Bond made the scene. <laughs> Holy smokes, they had one called Spicy Western. There was more stuff that happened on quarter horses than you'd ever believe. <laughs> And I'm sitting there, you know, I'm sitting there, and my idea of a girl was Esther Jane Alberry, who, who kind of looked like a little, uh, she looked like a little fire plug with feet, you know? And, and, uh, now wait a minute, gang. I sense irony in that applause. Are you applauding the animal life of Hammond, Indiana? Or is it fire plugs you like, you know? So I'm sitting there, you know, by, by this. I remember these afternoons, Sam, sitting down there next to the icebox. <laughs> I'm reading this thing, sweating, you know. And always with, with one ear out for the, for the steps coming down, you know, hearing the steps. And I would always wait for somebody. Everybody's out of the house. And I'm sweating. Oh, wow. I had a big stack of them. And I would hide them behind the icebox. And I'd pack them all in there and I'd put newspapers in there and I'd throw old tin cans and ball jars up against it, you know. Nobody ever came near this icebox. It had four inches of dust, cobwebs. Mice lived in it, you know, that whole bit. That icebox was in the house when we moved in there. Had ancient smells. How many of you remember the smell of an ancient refrigerator or icebox? Of old, old petrified hamburgers. The smell of ancient lettuces. The smell of those countless little, those countless little saucers with just what was left of the peas, you know? With the little white coagulated grease around the edges of it. Have you ever wished in one commercial, one TV beer commercial, the guy would open up the refrigerator? <laughs> you know? All his junk falls out and he pushes it in. You know? Just once, I would like to see one refrigerator in a TV beer commercial that has not been defrosted for a month and a half. <laughs> Looks like a big white football hanging there, you know. The door is hanging out, you know. <laughs> that smell comes out. You know? Where's the beer, Emily? Well, I'm sitting down there next to that ice box, and it goes on for a whole year and a half, see, and I had a little racket going. There was this place where they sold magazines and newspapers and I used to deliver newspapers for them and when I'm folding the newspapers you know I'm sitting down there folding you know how many of you remember how to fold newspapers that's a that's an art in itself and you flip 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 you juke like that you know in the bag flip, 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 juke, juke. You know, this arm is bigger than this one from that you know, like that well about every third day I would fold a spicy western in real quick right in there see like that I wonder how many people got a spicy western with their Chicago trib <laughs> Well, about every couple of days I got a new one. And now I've got my, my little library of debauchery. My little library of... This is where I gained my knowledge of the Western world and of womankind. You learned it from Tennessee Williams. I learned it from the guy at a quarter horse. Well, I am just... You know, I'm involved in this. And I remember that fantastic moment. One Saturday, there's nobody in the house. 
I go sneaking down the stairs. <laughs> Ooh, that rottenness coming out, you know. My pimples are popping, you know. <laughs> I'm sweating and I reach in there. Gone! My spicy westerns were gone. My spicy detectives had disappeared. Who knows? Who's got my spicy westerns? Holy smokes. My kid brother couldn't even read. Do you know, to this day, I don't know which one got my spicy westerns? This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Esquire magazine presents an amazing report on President Sukarno, the hot-blooded, hot-tempered strongman of Indonesia. Now in Esquire, Sukarno gives his own frank, off-the-cuff opinions of America, of women, of the late JFK, and of life in general outside the storm center of world politics. Here in Esquire is a rare insight into the life and personality of one of the world's most controversial figures. Read in Esquire his startling, candid views of marriage, love, politics, and religion. Read in Esquire why this supreme ruler calls himself the loneliest man in the world. Learn in Esquire what Sukarno fears most. Discover in Esquire the other side of a man called a power-hungry dictator by some and a god by others. What is he really like? For a penetrating look at the provocative world of President Sukarno, don't miss October Esquire. It's now on sale. See Frank Sinatra, Deborah Carr, Dean Martin in Marriage on the Rocks, Technicolor from Warner Brothers, now at Lowe's Capital and RKO 58th Street Theatres. Stay tuned for Ed Pettit reporting the news over WORAM and WORFM in New York. Good evening, everyone. Here is the late hour news, the 11 p.m. edition, Ed Pettit reporting. The New York newspaper blackout goes on tonight. The Times still unable to come to terms with the newspaper guild and the mailers still unable to come to terms with the Publishers Association. But the Herald Tribune, one of half a dozen papers that shut down in sympathy with the strike-bound times, says it's going to resume publication on Monday, says it has no choice explaining in general terms that it's a matter of money and other considerations. Juan Bosch, former Dominican president and for two years in exile, returned home today to the plaudits of thousands who had tried to restore him to power in the April uprising. He inveighed against American action in that revolt, said the International Court of Justice should fine the U.S. $1 billion, said the people of the Dominican Republic should use every possible means to rid the island of foreign troops. Bosch has disavowed any intention to run in the general elections promised for the next few months. Several other sour notes on the international front tonight. The North Vietnamese government says it will have no part of any UN interference in Vietnam, and Hanoi repeated its own conditions for a ceasefire, namely the withdrawal...